<clears throat> I had a little bit of milk, and I don't know how this will work, and my family's really not, um, wasn't expecting this, but let's do a special real quick. So I'll just, okay, so I'll use this microphone. That'll be all right? Okay. Just stand over here, and we'll, we'll make this work. We have, um, we've lost two men, and we just tried this song yesterday with, uh, in Staten Island with First uh, Bible Church over there. Um, we haven't sung this song in a long time simply because we no longer have the, the boys in the family. They already, you know, flew the coop and went on without us, and so we don't have those good, strong uh, bass voices, but it seemed to work okay, and they were a pretty forgiving congregation last night, and I think you guys should be pretty... Kind of, kind of the same, so cut from the same cloth. But uh, this song was uh, first heard it in the Russian language. We heard it in our youth uh, group. Uh, some people from our youth sang it with Miriam in, uh, in our church in Ukraine. And, and then we found the words in English. Pray it will be a blessing to you. given at the cross. 
my name written in the wounds for through your suffering I am free death has lost its sting life is mine to live one through selfless love. This the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a not the same without completely without the boys sure do miss them and uh, we had some other songs but my son he plays he plays the piano and he plays it you know it's kind of like wow you know whatever he plays and we really really miss it in our home amen and uh okay so we're good now um so tonight i'd like to just go ahead and prepare you ahead of time and just kind of, you know, it's like they said, the art of public speaking is, um, first of all, tell them what you plan to say, and then second, say what you want to say, right? And then at the end, you tell them again what you wanted to say, <laughs> and then you stop, and I, it's kind of like that. I just want to give a pre- brief introduction and just say that this is a presentation that um, a pastor asked me to do. I had a lot of phone calls prior to the war breaking out, a lot of phone calls right that, that, that week after the war broke out. I did nothing but live on my phone and pretty much said a lot of things over and over again. And then um, I began to remember a lot of things about Ukraine and history and things that I learned in the university that I had forgotten. And uh, just this war is not any, it's, it, it was not surprising to me. Actually, we, I've been expecting this for quite a long time. And especially since 2014, this war has been going on since 2014. It's just not on this kind of a scale. And it certainly wasn't reported back here. So, um, um, you know, a pastor asked me, can you help me make sense of all this? And where do you think this is going to go? And so I got up one morning and spent a couple of hours, actually three hours, and I just threw uh, all these things together into one um, kind of a whatever it is. And um, I don't have any notes. I just kind of, it's from the hip. And I never have had notes. Maybe I should give it some notes, give it a little bit more structure than it is. But... um, I'd like to, you know, some people say, wow, I just, uh, I, I couldn't get all of that. And so I'm just going to say ahead of time, just get what you can. 
and hopefully um, it will make sense to you a little bit later as you grow and as you study the Bible. But I, I hope that this will give you at least a biblical explanation of what is going on in the world and with this war and where it's going to go besides, you know, what we know, you know, you don't want to get up and just kind of in, for an hour state the obvious that we know. We know the, this entire world is going to turn against Israel. Amen. Amen. We do know that. I mean, that's, that's nothing that's, you know, that's not guesswork. We do know that uh, all of this is eventually going to lead there. And I will say that Ukraine is a very anti-Semitic people. <laughs> I remember once, I used to, um, back in the 90s, uh, everybody, you know, they don't hitchhike like this, but they stop cars, and that was some, of the, some fellows, that was the only way they could make money, is they would just kind of drive around, there were no taxis, and so you just kind of flag down a car like this, you know, and it was always kind of funny to see somebody on the side of the road, and they were kind of cool at first, and the closer you got, they would... <laughs> do this, that they were desperate for you to stop, give them a ride, and then you'd, you know, we always gave people a rides for free, give them the gospel, that kind of a thing, but I used to flag down cars, and I remember a guy uh, giving me a ride, and back then there were no, you know, uh, capitalism was a very, you know, that was a no-no, you know, speculation, you know, speculating, speculators, that was, that'll send you to the gulags, you know, buying something for one price and selling it for a higher price, Ooh, you, that was a no-no. And so there, were, there was really no such thing as advertisement. There were no bright billboards. There were no bright neon signs to get your attention. It was just all gray. It was like the concrete's gray, the buildings are gray, people dressed in all black, brown, and gray. <laughs> it was a very dismal, very depressing thing. And especially on an overcast day, this guy was giving me a ride to the university one morning, and he was just like, oh... It's just gray streets and gray people in a gray sky. Like, oh, those Jews. I mean, this was normal, evidently, to him, just to blame everything on the Jews, you know, that they did this. And um, so, yeah, anti-Semitism is uh, very alive and well over there. But uh, this war has broken out, and I want to give you some thoughts uh, we'll get into the book, get into some prophecy, step back in time, give you some history, show you the difference between Ukraine and Russia, and hopefully that'll give you some clarity, and, um, and then probably where I believe this is where this is going. And, um, and that way you can kind of, as, a, as God's people, you'll have some answers, amen? amen? We're supposed to be like the salt, amen? We're supposed to be ready to give a, you know, an answer to every man that asks of us, and so these are exciting times, and we'll talk about that as well. I just wanted to put this in here. This was uh, from July the 22nd, and these are all the areas that are pretty much what's going on right now. It still hasn't changed a whole lot. They took back the Kharkov area, but, um, you know, pretty much there's, these are all steps. There's not a whole lot of natural um, geographical boundaries here that separate Russia from uh, Ukraine, and what he what really needs to happen and what is going on is they want to, you know, just join Russia with the Crimea. And because they don't, Crimea, aside from Ukraine, doesn't have any fresh water, they don't have power, and they don't have land access. And so I've been expecting this for a very long time. And, uh, but I didn't expect him to bomb everybody, <laughs> everything else, you know. That, that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I, I thought he was going to take Donetsk and Lugansk, they found natural gas there. Uh, the Shell Company, the Western companies, helped them do the fracking. They found natural gas, and of course, Russia does not. That's their major. That's their main uh, source of income 
for Russia is Gazprom, the, the gas company, and they do not want any other competitors. They certainly don't want Ukraine to be a competitor with European markets uh, for gas, and they don't want Ukraine to be independent. And so all this, you always follow the money, and you'll understand those kind of things. But, but there's something going on spiritually, and I hope, hope it'll help you. Uh, also, this is from, also, uh, from July, and this is, this is dated this is how many uh, Russian soldiers have died in this conflict so far, and today it's 61,000. So 61,000 Russian souls, not the Ukrainians, but the Russians, have gone out into eternity. I'm sure most of them have never heard a clear explanation of the gospel unless they were really looking for it on the Internet. You know, and these guys are young enough that they missed the Billy Graham Crusades back in the day whenever there was more liberty to preach the gospel. And one clue of why this is going on spiritually is because, uh, because Ukraine is the key to reaching Russian-speaking people with the gospel. Uh, Russia is very closed to Western preachers, okay? But Ukraine, it's very free, all right? No one is persecuting Russian-speaking people like Putin claims, um, but, so it, it is a kind of a spiritual battle that if we want to reach Ukraine with the gospel and if we want to reach Russia with the gospel, Ukraine is the key. And so people ask me, which way do you want this to go? you want Ukraine to go to the Russia or you want Ukraine to go to Europe? And I'm like, there are no good guys here. All right? I mean, you just got a, 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 a bad, bad guy and you got a worse bad guy. Okay? But I want it to stay open for the gospel, period. You know, I really don't want the European, you know, gay agenda and everything else that comes with that to come into Ukraine. I hate to see the manipulated GMO, you know, seeds because Ukraine's been pretty clean with their food and stuff like that. And I, I hate to see their food change to be what it is here, to be honest with you. The fruits and vegetables and stuff like that, it's just, I don't know, it's just so, ugh. There's no flavor. Everything's just kind of greenhouse type stuff. So I hate to see that happen, but I want to see the gospel to be, you know, we want to propagate the gospel. Amen? So since we've already prayed, I'm just going to continue on. So we'd like to ask a question. Is Ukraine in the Bible? Has anybody read the Bible and found the word Ukraine in the Bible? Anybody here? No, but I would like to tell you that it is there. Okay. And we're going to answer that question, and we're going to cover some things. And first, it's just kind of important, we'll go through a couple of verses here. I'm putting them up on the screen because it's just for time's sake. So, yeah, I wanted to time this so I don't get lost and, and go forever. Um, so, Isaiah 46.10 says, this is the Lord speaking of himself, declaring the end from the beginning. Now, God can do that. He can prophesy. There's nothing like fulfilled prophecy that would will prove this book. And aside from fulfilled prophecy, well, you can look at Israel. Amen? That's a great proof of that this, that this book is the Word of God. Uh, another great proof to, pre, you know, to prove that God is real and that He is the God that wrote this book is answered prayer. Amen? I mean, that's a great way. I've, I've gotten uh, professors, atheistic professors of biology in the Odessa State University to he admitted in our debate that, yes, the laws of thermodynamics uh, disprove the theory of evolution. He got that far, but he still wouldn't believe. But answered prayer really made him step back. And in the, I guess another thing that you could add onto that list is uh, a changed life. 
on God's, from God's people, amen, to see that. That's a real miracle. But, you know, God, he's able to prophesy, and it says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And so it's almost as if God is saying he can prophesy, and he'll prophesy, but he'll also, using types in the Bible, right, if you know about that, that uh, every word of God is pure, right? He doesn't mince words. He doesn't, you know, waste words. He uses the names, the events, the dates, the locations, little details of people's lives, you know, that seem to be insignificant, but he inspired those very words that will point to all these little details about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's plan for, amen, for us, the church, for the world, for the Gentiles, for Israel, all of that is in here, but he declares that the end from the beginning, all right? And so you, it's very important that you understand origins. He said, declaring the end where from the beginning, and so you have to understand origins. Acts chapter 17 says this, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the fa- on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and so uh, god knows everything about all the nations in the world this war does, it has not surprised god <laughs> amen it's almost as if god knows that there are certain times that we have that song that hymn once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide have you heard that with a, i guess it's mozart's or haydn's um, music there, but anyway, uh, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So the Lord put bounds on the nations, okay? No, just stick with me, okay? Um, and here in Deuteronomy 32, it says, when the Most High divided to the nations, there it is again, their inheritance when he separated the sons of Adam. So, you know, Jesus Christ said he, did, he came what? Not to bring everybody together, but he came to bring a sword, he said. And this here he says that God uh, separated the sons of Adam. He set, and here it is the word again, the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Now I believe this is talking about the Tower of Babel. I believe this is talking about that originally uh, people were divided by languages, right? Not only through bloodlines and family lines, but by languages, Okay, now the word race is not in the Bible, you know, is this racism and all this other kind of stuff that's going on very popular today, totally muzzling people in America from freedom of speech. Everybody's just scared to death, all right, because they're just, it's propaganda. It's a way to divide this country, and you, you know, but anyway, God did set some boundaries on people so that they could seek after God, right? But anyway, just notice that God separated them. He set bounds on them. And then notice this in Isaiah chapter 10. Here is the Assyrian. Now, the Assyrian in type is a type of the Antichrist. All right, when you read through your Bible, you read uh, Assur or Ashur. Ashur. Uh, He was the father of the Assyrian people, going back dealing with origins. And uh, the Assyrian is a type of the Antichrist. And notice this. He says, for he saith, by the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people. So God set bounds. The Antichrist, he's all about what? United Nations. United States. The European what? Union. The United Arab what? Emirates. It's everybody, the the Soviet, the, the union of the Soviet Socialist Republics, Right? 
It's all this getting things together. And, you know, the Bible says, though hand join in hand, yet shall the wicked not be unpunished. Amen. And so what that is the spirit of this age, just getting everybody together. And uh, it's just kind of strange because we, we also, as Bible-believing Christians, uh, we have our own kind of like understanding and buzzwords. And let me ask you this. In the tribulation, we know that this world is heading towards a one world what? There you go. It's a Bible-believing congregation here. A one-world government with a one-world what? Religion. With a one-world currency. There you go. And a one-world leader. There you go. Yeah. And all the world worshiped the beast, right? There it is, that one-world religion. And I'd like to add a one-world culture. Have you noticed what's been happening in the world today? been watching it now for 30 years it's it's more it's clearer and more defined whenever you live in a country that was kind of like back in the 1940s and 50s and then bam the wall opened up and then everything that we gradually saw develop over a course of you know 30 40 50 years was just dumped on them in five years okay that really makes a profound, uh, has a profound effect on a culture and on a people. But what I notice today is everybody's listening worldwide to the same music. All right? Everybody worldwide is watching the same movies. They're all listening to the same stream of news coming out of centralized, controlled news outlets. Okay? They're all losing their distinctives as a culture and as a people. I watched, you know, Ukraine in the winter times, you know, from the Soviet times. It was really cool because, you know, those Russian hats, they call them shapkas. Those Russian hats, they kind of fold up like this. Man, those things are so warm. And they're fur. And, like, you go out on the street uh, back in the 1990s, and I mean, it was show and tell. It was some of the wildest designs and every type of fur you can think of. And I mean, here are these people that are totally uh, economically depressed, but here they are. The ladies are wearing full-length mink coats to the farmer's market, you know, and these, all these guys have coyote and wolf and badger and, and uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, mink and rabbit, and wolf, and what else? I mean, just uh, sable, well, that is mink, and then they had, uh, I don't know, what else did they have, sweetheart? Muskrat, muskrat, I mean, it was just, and some of them were really, really big and floppy, and the, the women, you know, the old ladies would love that real, real long hair, and it would just kind of just flow in the breeze, you know, and some of those guys had, it looked wild, you know, and I, I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to be like a Hudson Taylor, I'm going to go fit in with the, with the people, and I went and got myself a cheap, you know, Shopka and our people of our church were like, you know, preacher, stop, you know. <laughs> they were like, because um, I got rabbit. They were like, that's what the bums wear, the rabbit. That's the cheap. You know, you need to get a mink. Be, a, you know, a, like a hazyain, you know, be like a, the owner, you know. Be, anyway, so I was trying to figure things out myself. But you know what they're wearing now? Nike, Adidas. Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfinger, Levi Strauss. Everybody's watching the same stuff, listening to the same stuff, wearing the same stuff. You know, it is a world culture. 
This world's changing. And it's kind of a paradox. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, it contradicts itself because we know that in the end, we're moving to this international socialistic type of a, a situation, but on the way there, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a tribulation passage, okay, he said this, Matthew 24, there's tribulation. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, what about a one world? Okay? See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for what? Nation shall rise against what? Nation. What does that indicate? That indicates a rise of nationalism. Okay? You've got to pay attention to what the Lord says. And kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. They've been hitting those, those crops in Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe and the former Soviet Union, and pestilences. There's COVID and earthquakes, etc. And so it looks like, okay, well, there's heading towards this one world this and one world that, but... I think that the world leaders have been so goo-goo-gaga over this globalism that's going on that it's causing a lot of a rub. Okay, that's what's happening. You know, you, you didn't ask for people to change your country, did you? Americans are, you know, especially the older generation, the younger guys are like, what are you guys so upset? You don't realize what you've lost. Amen? Amen? Now, this is going on all over the world, and it is against the wills of all the people. And so no matter how much they try to bring this globalism and force it down people's throats, it's causing friction, okay? And I want to point that out, that not everybody is real, real happy with, you know, McDonald's and Coca-Cola and Levi's and Hollywood. They don't see this as an improvement in their culture. So getting back to the question, is Ukraine in the Bible? Well, getting back to origins, uh, you, if you understand origins and the peoples that the Lord put in the book, it'll help you understand and locate today's countries and nations and those kind of things. So here I'd like to make a couple remarks about the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians is a special book, especially for the body of Christ in the last days, because the book of Colossians uh, contains five mentions of the name Laodicea. Now, knowing, if you know the way the Lord does things, he mentions people, places, events in certain contexts, again, that point to something bigger, Right? Um, you guys have read the Bible enough, and you know that that's so. He uses types. Now, the book of Colossians is important. I mean, if all you had was just that, that it mentions Laodicea, while other books do not, it would help you understand, hey, there's something for us at the end of the, uh, the, end of the uh, church age. But when you read the epistle, especially chapters 2, 3, 4, you know, you're dealing with things. I mean, the Lord is nailing the church today. You know, one thing, for example, I mean, there's a lot of admonitions that we really, really need today, more than ever. But there was one warning. He said, beware of what? 
philosophy. How many Christian families, how many parents have had their hearts broken because they paid tens of thousands of dollars to send their kid off to a university to get some kind of an education, and yet philosophy was forced down their throats, messed up their way of reasoning and way of thinking, totally made them uh, not deductive reasoning, but inductive, where you can't prove anything, rooted and grounded them in the laws of relativity, the sinking sands of relativity, and they just kind of gave up and went out and just got drunk, right? Because there's no purpose to life. Philosophy, especially this stuff that's going on today with, you know, uh, just be yourself, right? The philosopher said, you know, know thyself, right? Now today they're express yourself. Just be, that kind of sounds like good advice. You know, hey brother, you know, that's a, you know, just, just relax. Just be yourself. That's bad advice Amen. for some people. Especially if you're saved. Don't. Stop it. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Why? Because you have a new nature in you. Which Amen. you are you going to be? The old man's supposed to be dead and hit with Christ and God. Amen? You're supposed to leave him down there. So this thing about be yourself. Okay, well, no. We, we don't want to be the new man. And so you, until people, you know, these kids need to go off to college rooted and grounded in the Word of God, understanding the difference between their standing and state, their position in Christ, and all this stuff, it sounds good, just be yourself, express yourself, okay, well today, I want to express myself, I feel like I'm a cat, right? And it's just leading us to, I mean, this, this place is insane, it's a bunch of, I'm serious, folks. It's like, I mean, to, to be a normal thinking human being, you're not allowed to be because of the propaganda and the fear mongering. They got God's people so scared to, you know, you have to qualify everything, you know. Oh my goodness, it's just, it's awful. And I could just park here and preach for a while, but anyway, you know, all that goes back to, it goes back to existentialism. That's all that is. That's what drove the 60s, drove the music, drove the 70s, drove the 80s, expressionism. Well, I, wanna, I don't want to be an artist and learn all the rules of art and beauty, perspective, right? Lighting and shading and all that stuff. I'll just pick a paint and put a mop in it and throw it up against the wall and sell it for a million bucks because that's how I was expressing myself. That's garbage is what that is. That's a sham. You're not an artist. You're a sham artist is what you are. Anyway, all that is, that's, who, who is that? That's Aleister Crowley. That's the Hellfire Club. You know, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's what he said. It's all over the place. It's everywhere all the time. Just do it. You can have it your way. Blues Clues, you can do anything that you want to do. You know, it just, it's, you see it all day long. In the Bible, in Colossians said, beware. Okay, so in that book, it told the body of Christ, us, today, beware. He talks about the body of Christ, and he says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Okay, there's nationality, and there's circumcision or uncircumcision. Okay, where there's your family lines, and barbarian. All right, that's status, culture, civilized people or not. But then here's this guy. These people, Scythians. Do you, do you know who the Scythians are? 
Anybody in here know who the Elamites are? Elam in the Bible. Who's Elam? Anybody know? What well, goes back to origins again? So how's, you know, why is this stuff important? Well, it's important because God did pronounce certain blessings, warnings, judgments, prophecies on certain nations, especially in their relationship to who? To Israel. So what's the Lord going to do? He inspired his word. He used the names of those nations as they were then. And then what's he going to do? Is he going to give you every name that it's going to go through? (laughs) No, that's why it's important to understand origins. So here we have the Scythians. Who are the Scythians? Well, there it is. The Scythians. There's the Black Sea. This is Ukraine. But this was all Scythia. Okay? Now, the Scythians were Elamites, the descendants from Elam. There are prophecies in the Bible that talk about them. It talks about them in the last days. All right? Who are the Elamites? Well, they're the Persians. Okay, Persia. Now, the Pers- look at this. The Persia today is considered it's Iran. Who are the original Aryans? But you can study that on your own for about 10 years and figure that one out. But here it is. So how did that happen? Well, and again, here are the Scythians right here. There's the Black Sea, the Iranic peoples. Around, you know, 500 years, that's exactly, you know, here's Babylon, the empire building, the times of the Gentiles, right? Started with Babylon. The Assyrians came in before Babylon. They sacked the northern tribes of Israel. After the Assyrians, that's when the times of the Gentiles began in 606 B.C. with Nebuchadnezzar, all right? Now, that was uh, the Babylonians, and then after the fall of Babylon came who? Well, after the fall of Babylon came the Persians, Media Persia. And so I want to call your attention to Larkin's chart here. Now, there's some things about it that I don't agree with. I mean, number one, those toes are very long. Okay, those are very, very long toes, and they're supposed to kind of overlap this period right here, which I, I understand that, but I think that, you know, this, we should have a, a little bit longer feet, I guess we put it that way. The other thing I call your attention to is this is a common mistake. So here's, the, here's Daniel chapter 2. This is the times of the Gentiles beginning in 606 B.C. with Babylon, Media Persia, then you've got Greece, and then you've got Rome, Okay. And then you go into the, the tribulation with the Antichrist kingdom, which is iron mixed with miry clay, which, by the way, I know that aluminum has its own element on Mendelssohn's chart, but there is a form of aluminum that we use a lot today, which is made, this is aluminum that is made by combining iron and clay. It's a process, and I think it is kind of a little disguised prophecy here. Amen? That's what I think. But anyway. So, this is Daniel 2. This describes Daniel chapter 7, these beasts here. And these two beasts describe, uh, these are found in Daniel chapter 8. And so there's a repeat. It's interesting how you got 1, 2, 3, 4, then boom. Then you got, uh, then the Antichrist. Then you got 1, 2, 3, and then the Antichrist. Then 1, 2, and then the Antichrist. It's just kind of going down. Now, I haven't quite figured out why that is yet, but the problem is, is that Daniel 7, when, when the expositors get here, 
I think they really messed it up because they match the lion with Babylon, they match the bear with Persia, and they match the leopard with Greece. Now, the, problem, the reason why that's not right is because in, cha- in verse 17 it says that these beasts shall come, which means it was already, this prophecy was at the end of the Babylonian times, and so this actually belongs here with the Persians. And the two things about this is, oh, we'll get back into that, is, and so the bear goes here, it matches Greece, and then the leopard matches Rome. But the thing about it is here, there are these two legs. Now, God could have used any type he wanted to, right? He could have used a serpent. He could have used a four-legged elephant, right? He could have used anything. He could have used another animal, but he chose to use a man. And the one thing we know about Rome, can you read that there? What does that say? That says the Eastern Division. This says Western Division, the Papal Church, and then here's the Greek Church, the Orthodox Church. So the world's been divided. There is definitely an East-West thing going on. Now, we live in Western civilization. History moved from East to West. And we over here, we understand our side of the world's history. We understand you know, the, the Dark Ages, the Inquisition, the Great Awakening, the Renaissance, right? The Reformation and all these big events that changed the world. The printing press, that changed the world. That was directly because of God's people having a desire to get the Word of God out to the world, amen? And so, anyway, these are big things. These are things that we understand and take for granted because we're over here in this Western side. But we're very ignorant about what happened over here. And that's the reason why we put this together. Now, in 1995, I sat in a lecture in the Odessa State University, and my professor got up. He was a professor of history, and we went over some of this history we're going to teach you tonight. And he said, I'm a historian. All of my friends are historians. And he said, we all know one thing. We know that you, in, on Ukrainian territory, there has never been 100 years of peace. There's always been war. Because it's where East meets West. It's called kind of Eurasia. It's not quite Europe. It's not quite Asia. It's not exactly East, and it's not exactly West either. All right? And so it's right there in the middle, and so there's, it's just been the place where a lot of wars have been fought. And, um, and this is kind of at the crux of what's going on right now. And so we don't understand a whole lot of the, the eastern side of history. And so I'd like to kind of bring you up to speed a little bit. And what's the difference between Moscow and Ukraine? Why are these people that look exactly the same and they seem to be the same culturally, what's really the difference? Because the next thing that professor said just kind of shocked me. I, I said, well, what did you say? Did I understand you right? He said, there's never been 100 years of peace. And he said, our next war is going to be with Russia. And I did the math. I knew that, he, you know, history repeats itself, right? And the one thing that men learn from history is that men, what? Never learn from history, right? And those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat the mistakes of history. And so I did the math, and I started counting from 1945, and I thought, wow, 
100 years is the time, so the clock's ticking. I'm probably going to see war in my lifetime in Ukraine. And he said, our next war is going to be with Russia. And I said, what? You're one and the same people. And he, oh, no, we're not. We are not the same people. And he began to show us historically the difference. And he said, this next war, his words, exact words in Russian, of course, were Ukraine is a powder keg. And all it's going to take is a spark that could potentially ignite World War III. And he said this in 1995. Okay, 1995. And he talked about the Crimea and the gas lines and Sevastopol and the Black Sea Fleet that was there and the intermingling of all the Russian people with Ukrainians and the Ukrainians' you know, resentment for all of the persecution and the famines and Holodomor and the millions that died were starved to death because of Stalin. All, and then the ultra you know, hyper-ultra-nationalistic Ukrainians up there in Lvov, which, up, you know, I went up there, and if I, you try to speak Russian up there, I mean, you're going to have yourself a fight. <laughs> I mean, there were some Russians that went up there, went into a bar, started drinking, and they tried to pay a band up there, some, some you know, band was playing in a bar, and they said, hey, play us a Russian song, and they were like, no, and they got into a big fight, the people came out, they rioted, they burned the place to the ground, <laughs> and then, this is back in the 90s, and they're dancing around, you know, this bonfire saying, you know, Slava Ukraine, Smirt Vragam, you know, they're saying, you know, glory to Ukraine and death to our enemies, and my other professors were like, look, I'm a first, second, third generation Russian, we came here against our will, the Kremlin sent us. But those people up there are saying, Smert Vragam, death to our enemies. And I know they're saying that about me. I don't know how to feel about that because I've got a Ukrainian passport. You know, people are a little bit cranky. <laughs> they need the gospel. My translator, he was a nationalist. He, he, did, he hated it, but he did it. He got saved and he was like, why are we preaching in Russian all the time? This is Ukraine. I said, because we can reach the most people with the gospel with Russian. You know this. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so here's the Kremlin. That's Moscow. And back around, you know, the Dark Ages. Here we have between 800 and 1240, the eastern Slavic lands were a part of what was called Kiev Rus. All right? And the seat of the Slavic culture and people was Kiev, not Moscow. Kiev. All right, here's just a map about the general area. Different peoples at that time, they were pagans. And I want to go back to this and kind of show you something here. What was this and how did this end up? Well, when, if we jump forward to a more modern times, you're dealing with the times of the Gentiles and you're dealing with empire building, right? Empires rise in the Bible and they fall in the Bible. They expand, and they what? They contract. Um, here, not too long ago, there was the British Empire, right? And the British Empire, they said the sun never set on the British Empire. And as a result, sent their military and sent their merchantmen all over the world. And so they speak English in Australia. They speak English in, well, uh, South Africa. They speak English in Canada and the United States. What is that? That is empire building, expanding and contracting. So that empire falls and leaves in its wake a bunch of people that are displaced. 
come back, go back a little bit further. You go to the former Soviet Union, and there was a country there called Romania. What's the root of the name Romania? Rome. Hello. I look at Romanians, and I don't see Russians, and I don't see, certainly don't see Ukrainians or Turks or anything else like that. They are not normal Slavic people. Number one, they speak very with a lot of gestures. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's kind of a clue, right? And uh, they also speak a Slavic dialect with a, with a Latin alphabet. Who does that have? Who are they in, co- in common with? Rome. They're Italians. <laughs> so the Roman Empire expanded. It contracted and it left behind a bunch of people that are like, what are we going to do now? And they're like, those Romans, buddy. They're like, we're going to carve our little place out here and we're going to call it Romania. (laughs) You know? So let's go back even further. So who were the Scythians? The Scythians were the Persian Empire expanded. It had 120 provinces. And whenever that thing fell to the Greeks, it left behind a bunch of displaced Persian people And buddy, when you go to Ukraine and you look at their museums, you look at their architecture, you look at some of their culture, their dress, you're looking at Persians. I was, we were talking about these things in class and one guy with his computer uh, pulled up just pictures of Persian people, you know, just pictures, Persians. And he was like, that looks like my aunt. That's my uncle. We're the same people. You know, just the features. So that's where the Scythians came from. They were all pagans back then. And then Vladimir the Great, he converted all these, this land to Christianity. They actually um, interviewed a bunch of different religions, and they chose Eastern Orthodoxy over Catholicism and over, you know, they, they, they had these funny little anecdotes. They said they look at Judaism, and they were like, nah, that's not going to work for us. They looked at Islam, and they said, no, uh, you know, we, we can't handle more than one wife, they said. And we like to drink. <laughs> they said, that'll never work for our people. They looked at the Catholics, and they're like, we've always been warring with the Catholics, with the Romans, because of the Crusades. And so they, look, they looked at the you know, ceremonies and rituals, and they said, wow, that was really impressive. And so they chose the Eastern Orthodox Church. to officially join state and church, just like that. So they were, it was an interesting situation that Rus, the Kiev Rus, uh, area, territory there, they had two things in common. They were a Slavic culture shaped by Orthodox Christianity, and they were all, eventually they came from the ruling princes that descended from uh, the first Christian prince, Vladimir the Great. All right? All of those little uh, princely clans were part of a bigger, you know, dynasty, and you pretty much eventually in time had the north and you had the south. Uh, by the 1100s, the Kiev lands had split into two spheres, like we said, the southern realm, and then you had the northern realm, where Sevalod's, you know, uh, big nest, but they were all ruled as the grand princes of um, Vladimir. And then it says this, everything changed when the Mongols arrived. Now, we don't hear a whole lot about the Mongols, the Mongolian Empire, which was one of the largest empires this world's ever seen. It's really not in the Bible because it really didn't directly affect the nation of Israel. So they're not there. But when the Mongols came, everything changed. He sacked all the major cities, including Kiev. 
And so the Mongols established a permanent empire, and we learned about that. We saw these same, the, my, my teachers in the university showed me these same pictures, all right? And they had the three bagatira, the, the three, you know, brave men, you know, and all this, all this folklore and stuff like that. But uh, they were known as the Golden Horde, and these Mongols would, were Russia's overlords for, for centuries. And so Western parts of that Rus was able to escape the Mongol rule because they were closer to the West. Uh, Kiev fell to mostly Poland and Lithuania, but north, the north area, they couldn't escape the Mongols. And so this is where, you know, this is where, the, uh, where Moscow came in. So they were Eastern Orthodox under Mongol rule, but they didn't have a pope. Now we understand Catholicism and the Inquisition, right? The Dark Ages, they went through a same time period, but they had a con and not a pope to deal with. And this is kind of key. Um, they have their heroes like Alexander Nevsky. And you go to Ukraine, go to Odessa, and they have, you know, Nevsky Prospect or they have Nevsky uh, Square. They have them like we have Washington Boulevard or Jefferson Boulevard. They have them named after their heroes. He was a hero not for fighting the Mongols, but for fighting the Catholics. There's your east-west divide. This goes way back. So the Mongols soon decided it was very inefficient and expensive and just not convenient to gather taxes once a year by traveling and all that. So they looked to outsource the job. And so this is where Moscow comes in. Moscow was not rich. It was not large. It wasn't powerful. It was situated on a, the series of, um, you know, the, the network of the rivers up there. But they were, and I remember my, my professors of the university with great pride, the Russians were great politicians. They were shrewd. They were wise, you know. That's who they were. They could deal with the situation at any time and come out on top. You know, they respect nothing but power and despise nothing more than weakness. All right, and so Moscow had those shrewd princes, and they saw their opportunity. They were opportunists. And so they said, hey, we'll do the job. We're your guys. We'll collect the taxes for the, for the Mongols. And so that enabled Moscow, through, through time, grow rich. It became a tax haven, right? Because not only, you know, the, the, the Moscovians or the Muscovites, uh, they had to pay their taxes too, but since it was their job to collect everything for everybody, you guys here know close to New York City, you know there's such a thing as a consultation and as a collector's fee, right? And so Moscow became a tax haven. It was just, you move to Moscow, you don't have to pay taxes. And so Moscow began to grow. Rich, populous, powerful, and that's how it happened. So then... Whenever the Mongol Empire began to crack and collapse, it was Moscow that led the, 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 the push for their independence. And so, Dmitry Donskoy was the first one to, uh, to beat them in the field. And then another big, big change happened in the world, and that was when the Byzantine Empire fell. Now, all seven churches in the book of Revelation are located where? Yeah, Asia Minor, which is present-day what? Turkey. Turkey. 
That's where the Byzantine Empire was. That's where Paul and all of his evangelistic crusades and all the church planting and all the Christianity and the manuscripts. So God is not a respecter of persons. At some point, something happened and God's people turned their backs on this and God turned the light out on them. Don't you think for a minute that you're any better, that America's any better. Amen? Amen. And so the fall of the Byzantine Empire had such a huge impact on the Eastern Orthodox Church so that, you know, they were like, who do we turn to? And the only strong uh, independent nation at the time was Moscow. So the Eastern Orthodox Church went to uh, the Muscovites for protection, the princes of Moscow, And then by the late, already 1400s, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, what was going on over here, Prince Ivan III was declaring himself the prince of all, you know, the the whole territory of Rus. You know, it's kind of like Putin just declares, oh yeah, these regions are ours now. And he began to annex all these lands. Annexation of lands have been going on for a long time. Russia's been doing this long before the Bolshevik Revolution. By the reign of Ivan III's grandson, who was Ivan IV, it was the Tsar, you know him as Ivan the Terrible. They had annexed all the lands back to Russia, established the Russian Orthodox Church, which is a major, major player, a major seat at the table in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, which is the head seat of the Eastern Orthodox Church, that pagan church, you know, that, that uh, not just pagan, but also a, 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 not apostolic, <laughs> apostate, apostate church, thank you. They, um, and traditionally, Ukraine has always been under, since the 1600s, Ukraine has been under the Moscow Patriarchy, all right? So it's always about power. But Ivan the, by the time of Ivan the Terrible's rise to power, it was all done. And the Russian bear rose. And what helped them get to that station was the Orthodox Church. It united those people. And so let's go forward now. Putin looks at what happened with the fall of the Soviet Union. He says it was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the last century. He sees it as a big mistake. He's never stopped fighting the Cold War, number one, and he's always looked at the West with great suspicion. Now, they are very, very quick to, to excuse and justify and, you know, kind of dismiss their mistakes and their sins as a nation with their militant atheism and the arrest and, and confiscation of all the Jews' goods and sending them to the gulags, right? And sending Christians and taking their kids away. I, I have people in my church who lost their kids because of that wicked system, and nobody's ever repented. Not on an official governmental scale. Not like Germany. Germany says, you know, you do this in Germany, and you go to jail. They still have hammer and sickles and all that kind of stuff going on in Russia today. Nobody's repented. There's been no national repentance for their wickedness and their sin. 
And they just look like, you know, they say, well, you know, we shouldn't have done that. We didn't have the right kind of socialism. You know, all this nonsense is what they say. But they look at it and they say, you know what, yeah, that was kind of an unfortunate period of our life, but Putin has gone back and said, you know what, we need to unite our people back under this banner to where they just swung from being militant atheists, and now they're kind of like, they're the, they consider themselves the only true Christians on the planet. They really do. And now getting back to this East-West, you know who this guy is? That's Kirill. He's the metropolitan of the Russian Orthodox Church. He's one of the richest men in Russia. All right? He's the head of this thing. He's definitely putting Putin up to this. Putin's up there bombing, you know, February the 24th. You know, just, just his soldiers are torturing. I won't even go into the details of the things that we know is going on from the soldiers and what they've been doing to the civilians, the women and the kids, the little girls, what they've been doing to them in front of their dads. You know, it's awful. And, he's, and Putin's up there doing this on Easter Sunday. How does he justify all this? Well, he feels like he needs to save Ukraine from the West. Why? Because, again, there's a rub going on. America has become nothing more than a corporate oligarchy. We got big business and big corporations running this place. And if you want to sell your shoes and your coffee, do it, okay? But you, you take your, your beliefs about this rainbow flag you got. Amen? Amen? And you keep it in the closet. But now these corporations are getting on board with all this other stuff dealing with our culture. And taking us down a very, very wicked road. And what's happening is that the East is looking at the West and they're saying, you're not bringing that here. They at least got, they're close enough to the ground in their gardens. They realize that, you know, they got their chickens and their cows and their goats, you know. And they're like, there's only, you know, male goats and female goats pretty basic there's male horses and they have different stuff and there's female horses and they got different stuff right the chickens there's roosters and there's hens is this hard it's hard for people who live in cities and all they know is asphalt and cement those people over there everybody has a garden and everybody has chickens and rabbits and everything else and we're over here in the west saying we i'm afraid to define and tell you what a woman is and they're looking at that over there, and they're saying, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Yeah. You've been hijacked by a bunch of homo- homosexuals. Yeah. And you're, you know, over there, they're kind of like, you know what? We tolerate them, we put up, we laugh at them, you know, you do your thing, whatever. But you will never be a part of what is considered normal. They will never let them become, you know, part of the decision-making group or the leadership group. It's considered, you know, you're just, you're not normal. They've tried to have a gay pride parade in Odessa, where we've lived all these years, and they haven't been able to do it for 10 years. Unsafe people come out of their apartments and beat them, the living daylights out of them. Unsafe people. I don't know, you say it's right or wrong. I'm not saying what's right or wrong here. I'm just saying 
This is what happens. That's all I'm saying. Now, they finally got it done. There was like 30 of them down there in front of the, uh, the, the big municipal building, the city hall. But they had to have police in three rows encircling them, three layers deep with riot gear. And then surrounding them was this huge crowd of people throwing bricks, and they got their own posters up, pro-family and all that stuff, and saying, you keep that stuff in the closet. I'm just telling you what I've seen from where I've lived all these years. Okay? That's all I'm saying. You may not like it, but hey, this is what's going on. It's time for you to wake up. You're on the verge of losing your country to a world war because of a bunch of psychopaths. So anyway, that's the mindset of Putin. You know, he's no better. There's no good guys here. It's not like Russia's good and Ukraine's, or Russia's bad and Ukraine's good. There's no good guys here. So, getting back to East and West, typically we divide the world into two hemispheres, East and West. All right? Time's about up. We get back to this, the times of the Gentiles. So we have the Eastern Division, which going back, we have the Papal Church and everything that it did in the, in the West. And now you know a little bit of what happened in the Eastern Division. After Constantine took the Eastern Church over to Constantinople, moved the headquarters, and then what happened there? And there's always been this fight, always been a fight. Now, we don't need to go into a whole lot of a comparison between Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Again, I would just say that the Babylon, this is not Babylon, this should be Persia, this is not, you know, this should be Greece, and this should be, of course, Rome. But the thing is, is that we know when we connect the two legs and the feet with Rome. So most of the time, Bible expositors are they, oh, we got the European Union, Right? Oh, there's going to end up being ten nations in the European Union because of the ten toes and the ten horns of the book of Revelation, right? Well, it's not happening. And it's because it's wrong. All right? That's the problem. And I would say that there is a thing here about the dual application, or at least a spiritual fulfillment of Daniel 7, because... Daniel, this was Persia, this was Greece, this was Rome, and that was before the first coming of Jesus Christ, but the, he wasn't received as the Messiah, right? The kingdom was not received or established because they didn't accept him. And so, uh, the way I usually teach it, and pastor here might you know, teach it a different way, but I teach it that uh, there is a repeat of these nations before the second advent. And the reason we get that is because of verse 1, it talks about Daniel in the night visions, and whenever you're dealing with nighttime in the Bible, you're dealing with the church age, at least the spiritual significance of the church age. And so whether you can say this is a literal fulfillment of those or just a type or a spiritual thing, but it works out like this. Here's England, the bear, <laughs> so the British Empire rose and fell left behind its outstanding characteristic, which is the English language. 
here's the bear. Russia rose, collapsed, and fell. After him, I believe this is the United States. Okay? Some people say Germany, some people say Africa, they say other things, but I think it's the United States, and I think the outstanding part of that is it's just international integration. All the boundaries of all the nations are all broken down and everything's just mixing because of transportation and, and, and communication. Okay? That's happening. Isaiah chapter 10, we read it. He's broken down the, the bounds of the people. Okay? And so when we get to Revelation chapter 13, when we talk about the Antichrist now, we, we're not stuck in Daniel anymore. You go ahead to Revelation and that Antichrist kingdom, his beat, that beast, has the mouth that speaks of a lion. There's the English language. The feet of a bear. And so that kind of points to how it moves, but it could also point to energy. Okay, I'll just put that out there. And then, of course, the United States has brought about all this getting everybody together with its globalism. So here's this, the great schism of 1054 was a big deal. They both popes, you know, excommunicated each other, and that's whenever this whole division started. You know, we divide the world into two hemispheres, but the Bible does it differently. Amen? The center of the world, according to the Word of God, is Israel. All right? And so, like I said, a lot of guys try to find equivalents nowadays for the ten nations that were there during the, you know, during the times of uh, right before Christ. You know, they look for ten nations like that, try to find the ten toes, and they try to find the equivalents in the European Union, and that's the problem. What I see is this, is that, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates in the book of Revelation, and the waters thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the who? Of the what? The east might be prepared. It's spoken of here as if they are their own group. So it's not ten countries in Europe. Now we have the book of Revelation, and looking at Daniel's image, there is an east-west divide. It's ten kingdoms or economic zones or countries or kings on, in the east. and I mean, sorry, five in the east and five in the west. That's what's happening. And that's what's going on. We have been driving this thing, this globalist push. It's been our corporations that have been driving this thing, opening up new markets for our corporations and Russia and China and India and everybody over there in the East are just like, you know what, you're not bringing all that junk and your culture with you and annihilating our culture. We'll, we'll make our own shoes. We'll make our own computers and our own telephones because we stole all your technology anyway. Amen? <laughs> so Revelation 17 says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but these receive power one hour with the beast. And so it's like they're divided and we're seeing the beginning of this big division in the east-west. There's going to be a big division. All of our corporations pulled out of Russia. So now who's Russia going to do business with? China, India, Iran, all right? Now, Russia and China have been trying to get rid of the petrodollar for a long time. 
Did you know that over 70% of all the $100 bills in print are not in the United States? Over 70% are not here. They're overseas. Why? Because the dollar is the reserve currency for the world. In Ukraine, if I want to go buy a car, I want to buy some real estate, you know what I got to pay for it with? Not Ukrainian grievance. I pay for it in U.S. dollars. You know when everybody keeps their, their money in their, under their pillows or in their, you know, their wall or whatever in Ukraine? You know what they, what they keep their savings in? They keep their savings in dollars. That's why you enjoy such a high level of life here. China knows that. Russia knows that. And they've been out to change that for the past 10 years. Okay? Trying to get people back on a gold standard or something else. Now, you know, we've been talking about this stuff for a while. And I received an email. I guess it's now about a month now. I've already been preaching this stuff for a long time. Looking at this stuff, studying it, and just kind of curiosity, wondering where all this is going. And I just received an email, and it said that China and Russia announced, they've already announced, replacing the dollar with their own reserve currency that they call the mir. Now, mir is a word that, that means either world in Russian, or mir can mean peace. So it's kind of like world peace. I go into the university, and there would be Lenin's face, his ugly face up there on the mural on the wall, with a dove with an olive branch in its beak. These communists could never get away from the Bible. And all over, there was, a, there was the, the, the globe in the background, and in all these different languages, there was the word peace, world peace. They thought they could bring in the kingdom. It didn't work out too good for them, amen, because we're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. But they've announced it, and that, that article said this, for the five emerging powerful economies coming out of the East. All right? That's what's going on. Sanctions are forcing all of our corporations to pull out, and then what do we, who, who do we deal with? If this, this globalism isn't going to work too good, well, we've got socialist Canada and socialist South America and socialist Europe. It's not looking too good for us. If China, no, everybody else, China, India, Russia begin to do their own thing, things are going to change. So did you know that Asia, the East, is already divided into five regions? Did you know that? It's been like that for a long time. There's Central Asia, East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Western Asia. There are the countries. Most of those, a lot of those still to this day speak Russian. The Russian bear expanded, contracted. There they are. There's East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Western Asia. See that one? Did you know that Ukraine is not in any of them? All right. So instead of it being 10, those 10 toes, those 10 horns, being 10 European countries, we're seeing 10 economic zones develop. There's going to be five in the east, five in the west, and this is what's happening right now. Ukraine's right in the middle. And there's a war. This is the times of the Gentiles, and there's the east and west divide. It's just going to be determined how much 
of Ukraine goes to the West and how much of Ukraine goes to the East. That's what I think is going on with our corporations, and I think this divide could potentially get very, very deep. Japan right now is preparing for war. It, it's, it, it looks like it's a mess. I'd like to end with this, and I'm done. We've been here an hour. I thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace in listening to me for this long. Remember, Colossians has a special application to the church age, right? The end of the church age. Chapter 3 says what? Set your affections on things above. As Pastor Veach pointed out last night, he pointed us to chapter 4. It's like, pray for me. The door of utterance will be open. Amen? Just keep praying, being thankful. Get out and and witness. And And the book ends with this. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. This is not the time to quit. This is not the time to set your Bible down. Amen. Amen. This is not the time to get relaxed. I mean, this is the time for Christians to dig in. This is exciting. We're down to the very feet. We're looking at the formation of the toes, folks. And all we're waiting for is that rock. It's going to bring this whole thing down. Amen. Amen. And then the Lord Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom. And it's going to be exceeding magnificent. Amen. <laughs> like the Lord. So just folks, just stay at it. Stay encouraged in the Lord. Amen. And if you've got something to do, if you don't have a ministry, find one. Amen. Pray. If you don't know how to win a soul to Christ, ask the pastor. Hey, pastor, can you point me in the right direction? I want to start getting out and witnessing. Yes, if you don't know how to witness, well, then pass out some tracts along the way Amen. here and there. Amen? Amen. Amen. So pastor, if you would come, you can close this out. Thank you.